0: The African American Hour. I'm Rosemary Anquay, bringing you readings from the following publications Vibe, V I B E, The Voice, Lavity, Ebony, The Root, Associated Press, The DMV Daily, and News One. Today, I'll begin my recording with an article from The Voice titled Black Community Fund of Kansas City Awards 40 Scholarships for 40th Anniversary, written by Thomas White, July 21st, 2023. Since its founding 40 years ago, the Black Community Fund of Kansas City, BCF, has granted 4.6 million dollars to 225 organizations throughout the metro area. In 2010, they began awarding scholarships and since then have given out 800,000 in scholarships to local black students. But for their 40th anniversary, they wanted to do something special. Normally, we don't give this many scholarships out, says BFC board member, Dan Haley, H-A-L-E-Y. But this is our 40th anniversary, and the board thought, hey, 40 years of service, let's do 40 scholarships. All 40 scholars have now received their first disbursement, and the money will follow them if they transfer or even if they take a gap year. The BCF scholarship is an annually reoccurring award open to all Black learners, including high school seniors, graduate students, and returning adult students, so long as they enroll at an accredited institution. We just want to give money to Black students, says BFC Executive Director Natika Rowles. N-A-T-I-K-A-R-O-W-L-E-S. Scholarship winners include Lincoln Prep graduate, Victoria Rollins, R-O-L-L-I-N-S, who will attend HBCU Harris Stowe University in the fall. Rollins plans on majoring in business administration with a minor in writing and hopes to one day own her own media production company. Rollins expressed gratitude the bcf's help i'm really grateful for them working with me it was an easy process and i appreciate that says rollins merit-based scholarships are kind of scary for a lot of people especially when you don't know if you're going to get them so i'm just overall grateful scholarship amounts range from five hundred dollars to five thousand dollars with students required to participate in 16 hours of community service per year and to maintain a minimum 2.0 GPA while in school. I'm thrilled to be selected by a group interested in uplifting young black people pursuing a higher education, says Mary Catherine Wirt, W-E-R-T, who will be majoring in English at Carleton College in Minnesota and hopes to go into journalism post-graduation. The Black Community Fund of Kansas is a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support and leadership to enhance socioeconomic aspects of African American communities in the greater Kansas City area. They seek to be preeminent thought leaders, effectively positive community change through stewardship, leadership, philanthropy, and education. This article is titled. Black Community Fund of Kansas City Awards 40 Scholarships for 40th Anniversary. Written by Thomas White, The Voice, July 21, 2023. The next article is titled Alpha Kappa Alpha Makes History as First Sorority with Its Own Credit Union. Written by Amber... Corrine, C-O-R-R-I-N-E, Vibe, V-I-B-E, July 17, 2023. Alpha Kappa Alpha, a.k.a. the first Black Greek sorority ever, continues to make history. Now the organization has created their very own credit union for members only. The FMO Credit Union is the first Black-owned, women-led sorority-based digital banking financial institution in the history of the United States, according to ABC7 Chicago, where the AKA's headquarters is located. Danette Anthony Reed, D-A-N-E-T-T-E, International President and CEO, of the sorority, stated to the news outlet, everyone doesn't understand the impact we make financially, so you have to start doing things so folks know we know how to control our money. Terry Bradford Eason, EASON, Executive Director of the FMO Federal Credit Union, added, every member will be an owner of the credit union. FMO will reportedly offer savings accounts, loans, and other financial assistance to Alpha Kappa Alpha members, including their families, staff of the sorority, and credit union. It's just awesome to know we'll have the opportunity to actually do something financial, aka member Monica Thiel told the GRIO while waiting in line to open an FMO account. The first-of-its-kind bank, officially opened on Wednesday, July 12th, as part of the sorority's six initiatives, which include building economic wealth. Reportedly, plans for the credit union began a few years ago with the idea to create economic health and financial stability for women of color. Per essence, only 38 Black-owned credit unions exist, to which two are owned by Black fraternities. Omega Psi Phi and Phi Beta Sigma. This article was titled, Alpha Kappa Alpha Makes History as First Sorority with Its Own Credit Union. Written by Amber Corrine, Vibe, July 17, 2023. The next article is titled, University of Colorado Coach Joshua Gines, J-Y-N-E-S, helps bring back Black fraternity to campus. They didn't have it. Written by Kyra Alessandrini, A-L-E-S-S-A-N-D-R-I-N-I. Blavity News, July 24th, 2023. Joshua Jines, a football coach for the University of Colorado Buffaloes and a former center from 2018 to 21, helped bring back a historic Black fraternity on campus. Omega Psi Phi Fraternity, Inc. became the first historically Black fraternity to return and officially register at CU Boulder in November, 2022. Giants shared his surprise when he found out Black fraternities were non-existent when he arrived on campus. I didn't look into it because I assumed every college had, you know, fraternities. So black fraternities and sororities, Giants told CBS News. When I got on campus, I was looking for it and they were like, they didn't have it. Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Inc. was founded in 1911 at Howard University and was prominent on CU Boulder's campus in the 1990s. It is part of the National Pan-Hellenic Council, often called the Divine Nine. The fraternity is the first to be recognized Social Greek Association at CU Boulder, meaning it can recruit on campus, access campus resources for programs, events, and training, and partner with other Greek life and campus groups according to the university. Omega Sci Fi runs in Giant's family history. His father and uncle were both members. He turned to his family to help in re-establishing the fraternity on campus. CBS News reported that his uncle called his fraternity brother DeRon Jasper, D. E. Apostrophe R O N, who currently works as the assistant athletic director and in assistant services and operations at CU Boulder. He was like, oh, I wanted to be an Omega, but he didn't know at the time that Omegas were even around, Jasper told CBS News. And I had the opportunity to already kind of gauge him, and I was like, I can see him fitting in, how he could help. After obtaining a provisional status on campus for Omega Sci-Fi, The gentleman completed the process toward full recognition in 2022. I think it's important to just have that representation so that they can say, hey, I have the opportunity. I see it's there. And if I want to strive to be in that, then I have the opportunity to do that, Jasper added. On his end, Gines hopes to see more men be able to build community on campus. Always having a brother to lean on. Always having someone to call when things get tough. I can always do that, and that's something that I think is the foundation of the fraternity. And I think it's something that we really rely on. I enjoy that, Jain said. Four other Divine Nine chapters are currently recognized at CU Boulder with provisional status, including Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, Inc., Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity, Inc., Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Inc., and Zeta Phi Beta Sorority, Inc. This article was titled, University of Colorado Coach Joshua Gines Helps Bring Back Lack Fraternity to Campus. They Didn't Have It by Kyra Alessandrini, Blavity, July twenty fourth, 2023. The next article is titled, Celebrating 50 Years of KC Hip Hop by Thomas White, The Voice, July 21, 2023. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and inventor of the breakbeat DJ Kool Herc, H-E-R-C, threw a party for his sister in the South Bronx. On August 11, 1973, and hip-hop was born. To commemorate the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, a concert is being held Saturday, August 12th at the GEM GEM Theater. Put on by 18th and Vine Lives, one of the event organizers, Sean Edwards, says they want to acknowledge the history anniversary with a local focus. Edwards says that hip-hop is more than the music and has influenced the way people talk and the clothes people wear. He says the cultural impact, both internationally and locally, deserves to be celebrated. We're going to have rappers, DJs, breakdancers, and even a couple of graffiti artists on hand, said Edwards. We want to give people a demonstration of what hip-hop culture has been for the past 50 years. San Francisco-based DJ and producer DJ Fresh will bring a West Coast slant to the concert. DJ Fresh, who was voted one of the top three DJs in the United States by International Turntablists Federation, incorporates a variety of styles in his production, including hip-hop, EDM, house, jazz, and R&B. The hip-hop 50 KC concert will also feature some of the biggest local names like the Popper, who made his mark 10 to 15 years ago, to newer acts like Roblo the Star and C. Also performing is That Don Juan, who helped craft Tech N9's early music, as well as independent artist Jay McGee. This is our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame moment, says Edwards. 50 years was a long time and a lot of these artists have definitely contributed to the cultural fabric of Kansas City. A portion of proceeds from the concert will be donated to the American Jazz Museum and the Mutual Musicians Foundation for the purposes of developing future curation of exhibits and programs that focus on the relationship between hip hop and jazz, tickets are on sale now for the concert, and there's also a brunch at Society, with two presentations leading up to the concert. For more information, visit 18th and VineLives.com to purchase tickets. Visit https; semicolon backslash backslash Hip Hop Fifty KC Saturday, August 12th, the Gem Theater, Kansas City, Missouri, 6 p.m. VIP reception, 7 p.m. concert, 9 p.m. after party. This article is titled Celebrating 50 Years of KC Hip Hop by Thomas White, The Voice, July 21st, 2023. The next article is titled Dating expert Devin Simone, D-E-V-Y-N, shares tips for a successful summer of love. Written by Laura Luciano, L-E-A-U-R-A-L-U-C-I-A-N-O, Ebony, July 21st, 2020. Uncuffing season is here, and a recent study conducted by Tinder has revealed that a substantial number of singles, 4 out of 10 to be exact, have either recently ended a relationship or are planning to do so, all in pursuit of embracing their single status for these sunny summer months. To help you make the most of this exciting dating season, we sat down with Devin Simone, the brand's resident relationship expert, renowned internationally for her exceptional matchmaking skills and dating expertise. Simone's guidance has led numerous singles to discover and foster happy, long-lasting relationships. Having personally interacted with over 2,000 singles and hundreds of successful couples, she has a deep understanding of the unique challenges we all encounter in modern dating, especially amidst the swipe-centric era and the post-pandemic world we now inhabit. So if you're eager to uncover the secrets to a successful summer dating journey, read on as Devin Simone spills her most coveted tips and insights to help you find the love you've been longing for, Ebony. Starting with your dating profile, what are some of the best practices for optimizing your dating profile, to attract the right matches. Devin Simone. When it comes to photos, use recent pictures. Don't use anything more than one to two years old, especially if you've made any major changes to your personal style. Also, show yourself doing activities and with friends. Don't get lazy. Take the time to clearly state what you're looking for in your profile. Whether you want a long-term relationship or are still figuring it out, claim it. We've seen lots of success with singles doing this, and it connects you with like-minded people. This way, you don't have to worry about matching with someone who isn't looking for the same type of relationship, which would waste your time. What are some of the ways to start conversations and move things to a first date? Here's a simple hack to avoid struggling with what to say to new matches. Pick five great qualities about yourself and think of a short antidote for each one. For example, if one quality is that you're socially outgoing, you can briefly mention that you meet up with friends every Friday. When you match with someone, look for cues in their photos or bio to connect to one of your antidotes. Ask an engaging question related to the antidote like, Do you go to that lake every weekend for a photo in front of a lake? Share your short, true stories in response to what they say. This gives you an easy, natural conversation starter. Instead of resorting to a dull "Hey." show genuine interest in learning about them while highlighting your own attributes. After three to four days of good conversation, suggest meeting up in person for a proper date. Don't get stuck in endless back-and-forth messaging. How can you stay positive when facing rejection and disappointment in online dating? Remember, rejection is a normal part of dating in life. Don't take it personally. It's not a reflection on you. Keep an open mind and maintain realistic expectations. Revamp your profile if you hit a frustrating wall. And take breaks when needed to avoid burnout. Just keep trying because there are more opportunities out there and someone will appreciate you. What should you look out for to stay safe when meeting matches from dating apps? It doesn't hurt to do some basic Google search on your matches before meeting up. Look for consistency in behavior as a safety cue. Inconsistent or cagey communication could signal someone is hiding something or leading a double life. Generally, people with genuine intentions will want to meet up after a few exchanges to avoid wasting time. If there's always an excuse why they can't meet up or plans keep falling through, take that as a red flag, that they may not be as available or interested as you are. Trust your instincts if something feels off. Your safety is priority when meeting someone new. This article is titled, Dating Expert Devin Simone, Shares Tips for a Successful Summer of Love by Laura Luciano, Ebony, July 21st, 2023. The next article is titled, One of Octavia Butler's Best Known Works is Now an Opera by Angela Johnson, The Root, July 12th, 2023. In 1993, Octavia E. Butler's Parable of a Sower, a critically acclaimed novel centered around a teenage girl with the uncontrollable ability to feel the pain of others, was published. Butler, who is considered a pioneering black female science fiction writer, delved into themes of racial injustice, women's rights, and climate change. She passed away in 2006, but now, 30 years after the book was published, the opera Octavia E. Butler's Parable of a Sower has its New York City premiere at Lincoln Center on July 13th. The story, set in 2024, describes a post-apocalyptic world affected by climate change, an economic crisis, and socioeconomic economic Inequality sounds a little too much like reality, right? Singer-songwriter Toshi Gregon, R-E-A-G-O-N, certainly thinks so. She worked alongside her mother, musician and activist, Bernice Johnson Regan, to bring Butler's timely story to the stage. Regan has previously collaborated with artists such as Michelle Indigiocello, N-D-E-G-E-O-C-E-L-L-O, and Nona Hendricks. In a recent interview with NBC News, she said her opera is hitting the stage at just the right time. I think that's the thing that turns us towards the world that Octavia imagines. People are reading her books and seeing that somebody saw this 30 years ago, which means we, in some way, have been living it. In the back of our minds, a lot of us have been worried about where we are now, she said. Shanta Pake, T-H-A-K-E, Chief Artistic Director at Lincoln Center, agrees that the opera is something audience need to see. The parable is this hour, she told NBC News. The book is a prophecy in a lot of ways, and it's set in 2024. Parables is a warning, and holds a lot of beautiful lessons. And Regan hopes that one of those lessons audience take away from the opera is the importance of community. You don't have to get along in some mystical magical way, but you could have the mutual respect of upholding a practice of community, she said. This article is titled One of Octavia Butler's best known works is now an opera by Angela Johnson. The Root, July 12, 2023. The next article is titled, Keevon Woodard, K-E-I-V-O-N-N-W-O-O-D-A-R-D. 10. Makes History as First Black Deaf Actor Nominated for an Emmy. By the DMV Daily, News 1, July 19, 2023. Keevon Woodard, 10, of Bowie, Maryland, is creating history. He is the first Black deaf actor and the second youngest Emmy nominee ever. Woodard plays Sam, an 8-year-old deaf artist diagnosed with leukemia, who debuts briefly in Episode 4 before taking on a greater role in Episode 5. Although Sam's video game counterpart is not deaf, The series creators altered to allow a deaf actor to play the character Woodard's performance was labeled astonishing to play the character. Woodard's performance was labeled astonishing and fantastic, and the episodes he appeared in as heartbreaking and a standout on the critically praised show. Woodard's mother, April Jackson Woodard, said that she and the family have been overwhelmed by the support they've received since his portrayal on the hit cable series. Also from Deadline, People kept sending me messages, and I cried immediately because I never thought or dreamed it would happen to my son. You know, I never even considered it, Jackson Woodard said. After Kivon got the role, I asked myself, how do I even prepare my life? It wasn't easy especially as a Black deaf mother and also being a widow. I was trying to take care of everything on my own, but he would say, Mom, I got this, and he did. He's the first young Black deaf actor to be nominated in Emmy's history. On top of this being his first TV show and major audition process, we are completely humbled and honored. This article was titled, kevon Woodard, 10, Makes History as First Black Deaf Actor, nominated for an Emmy by the DMV Daily News 1, July 19, 2023. The next article is titled, Lindsay Davis, Her Children's Books to Help Parents Have Tough Conversations, by Angela Johnson, The Root, July 9, 2023. Most people know Lindsay Davis as an ABC news anchor who comes into their homes to update them on the latest headlines from around the world. But she's also a wife, mother, and author of five children's books who somehow manages to squeeze in a half marathon or two in her free time. The Root caught up with Davis to talk about her approach to parenting and how she hopes her children's books give other families the tools they need to tackle important issues. Davis said she started thinking about writing for children out of necessity as she struggled to find books to read to her son featuring characters of color. It was always the cluster in February in the center of the table for Black History Month. Other than that, the pickings were really slim, she said, but rather than complain, I felt I should be part of the solution. Wondering if other parents had the same experience, Davis put on her reporter hat to see what the stats revealed. The statistics weren't up to date, but the most recent data I could find was that more than 90% of the protagonists in children's books were white. Meanwhile, if you look at the U.S. Census Bureau, more than half the children in this country are children of color, she said. So there was this major disconnect, and when I saw that, it confirmed that this was a legitimate issue. Once she decided she was ready to write, Davis said she began to focus on the message. When I looked for books for my son, I didn't want them to be about a random lion. I wanted a poignant message that was age-appropriate for kids. I wanted a poignant message that was age-appropriate for kids. She said in an essay entitled, Windows, Mirrors, and Sliding Glass Doors, got her thinking about how she should approach each story. It was so profound because it talked about how every children's book needs a mirror so the children can see themselves reflected in the pages. They need to have windows so they can peer into a world unfamiliar to their own. And if that window is truly transformative, it can serve as a sliding glass door to transport them into that world, she said. Davis got to work writing books with diversity and equality in mind. She wanted to help parents struggling to find ways to talk to their kids about difficult issues. Initially, my main focus had been on the mirrors and making sure my son saw himself reflected. Then I realized that it was just as important for non black and brown parents to use these books as tools to serve as a window so their children can see a different world, she said. From there, she decided on creating inclusive stories that helped erase the mindset that different means bad. My books have black and brown characters, but they're not just for black and brown kids. In every book, there's always intentionally a family spread, a community spread, she said. My goal is that anyone can look at the characters and see someone who looks like them, whether it's someone who's black or in a wheelchair you're going to see community most of the ideas for davis's stories have come from conversations she's had with her 9-year-old son aiden ay although he's young he's already lived through a global pandemic the murder of george floyd and the black lives matter movement and an attack on the capitol and he already has lots of questions he would see something or ask something and i would think that would make a great book. The idea for Davis' 2022 book, How High is Heaven, came to her when Aidan asked why he only had one of each grandparent when some of his friends had two. Davis tried to explain that his paternal grandparents, who had passed away, were in heaven. But Aiden insisted on seeing them. I showed him pictures, but he wanted to go to heaven to see them in person. The result was a beautiful picture book that inspires hope and comfort in all young people who have experienced loss. The concept for Davis's second book, One Big Heart, originated from the 2018 story of two black men arrested at a Philadelphia Starbucks. At the time, he liked to get apple juice boxes from Starbucks with his dad, and he wanted to know if he was going to jail too, she said. He was so young, and I felt that there was so much division in our country, but I felt like I needed to address it. But while Davis says she felt a responsibility to get the conversation started, she doesn't think Black parents should carry the burden alone. Acceptance and empathy are things all parents should be talking about with their children at home. There was a time during the summer of 2019 I remember seeing my son skip down the street and I was walking behind him. I just had this heaviness about when I should have the conversation with him about being a black male in this country. Why can't he just be a child? Struggling with the idea of talking to her son about society's issues, Davis says a guest on her show offered advice that stuck with her. We had an educator come on ABC News Live Prime, who said, if they're old enough to ask the question, they're old enough to hear the answer. She took that advice to heart and let her son guide the conversation and does her best to answer his questions in real time. And Davis adds that Aidan has no problem asking. He might have been three or four when he asked if Christopher Columbus was a good guy or a bad guy. He's very in tune with social justice, she said. But while the news is full of stories about discrimination and injustice, Davis says there's still some things that give her hope. When Biden first came into office, he had the most diverse cabinet we had seen in history. When we look at the Fortune 500 companies for the first time this year, over 10% had female CEOs, and one quarter of those CEOs just got their positions in the last year. So I look at certain benchmarks and milestones and see that the playing field is becoming more level. We haven't achieved equity yet, but I think there are hints of heading in the right direction. This article is titled, Lindsay Davis Wants Her Children's Books to Help Parents Have Tough Conversations, by Angela Johnson, The Root, July 9, 2020. Next, a special article from News One titled The Black Seminoles How Fugitive Slaves Escaped to Mexico Before the Civil War, written by Bilal G. Morris. News One, December 19, 2022. When America teaches slavery, it often leaves out some of history's most amazing stories. We created black folklore to give a voice to the lost tales of America's turbulent past. Here's a story of the Black Seminoles, a group of fugitive slaves who escaped bondage and created a community of free blacks in Mexico. In the early 1700s, when what we know as America began to take shape, some Gullah, Geechee, G E E C H E E slaves were able to escape slavery more than 150 years before the start of the Civil War. These fugitive slaves fled south into the Florida Peninsula from coastal South Carolina and Georgia. At the time, Florida, which was owned by the Spanish, was nothing more than a swampy jungle. The Spanish offered escaped slaves and renegade Indians a refuge from the onslaught of American tyranny. By the late 1700s, the Gullahs and some Native Americans established their own free settlements in Florida. The free communities maintained friendly relationships with one another until they all became loosely one tribe, a mixed population of Native Indians and former Black slaves. The Gullahs adopted the ways of the Natives, while the natives found joy in Gullah music and folklore. The Gullah also taught the natives how to survive Florida's harsh malaria-ridden swamps. Commingling for decades, the two groups raised several generations of free born black children. They would eventually be dubbed as Seminole Negroes or black Seminoles by American settlers. The word Seminole derives from the Spanish word "simbaron," meaning wild or untamed. By the start of the 1800s, as word spread of a free settlement from Black and Native Americans, the Black Seminole settlements began to grow rapidly, which frightened America's white elite. According to Yale research in 1818. General Andrew Jackson, later president, led an American army into Florida to rid the state of the Black Seminoles and claim it for the United States. Blacks and Native Americans fought side by side against Jackson's troops, but ultimately lost, and were forced to flee into the more remote wilderness of central and southern Florida. This was known as the Indian and Negro War, or The First Seminole War. The United States took control of Florida in 1821. In 1835, the Second Seminole War began, which led to the death of more than 1,500 American soldiers. The black Seminoles fought American troops for six years, fearing that if they lost, they would be killed or sent back to slavery. The Black Seminoles were skilled at fighting in the swampy jungles. Some U.S. officials even claimed that the Black Seminoles were contending against the whole military power of the United States. But as smart and resilient as the Black Seminoles were, they didn't have the manpower to defeat the U.S. Army. In 1942, American troops Forcibly removed the Black Seminoles and Native Americans from Florida and moved them to Indian Territory, now Oklahoma, in the unsettled West. But this didn't stop the Black Seminoles from continuing their long lasting struggle for freedom. They had no plans of going back to slavery. While in Oklahoma, slave owners tried to regularly kidnap their women and children and put them back in bondage. But The Black Seminoles stayed resilient until an unlikely opportunity presented itself. Many slaves in the South knew of the Underground Railroad and had heard stories about slaves traveling to the North to seek freedom. But the Black Seminoles had other plans. In 1850, a group of Black Seminoles and natives fled south across Texas to the deserts of Northern Mexico to evade white settlers looking for their fugitive slaves. They established a free settlement in Mexico, which began to attract more slaves from the Northern American settlement. According to some historians, before the Civil War, about 3,000 to 5,000 fugitive slaves ran away to Mexico. Their descendants of black American slaves were eventually known as the Mascogos, M-A-S-C-O-G-O-S. They settled in a village in the desert of Coahuila, C-O-A-H-U-I-L-A, Nacimiento de los Negros, which means Birth of the Blacks, a village that still exists to this day. The Mascogos have lost most of their black seminoles heritage to Mexican culture. But every year during the Juneteenth, the community celebrates their history with a celebration of the U.S. Emancipation Holiday. Although the community is now completely Spanish-speaking, their story is still so much a part of ours. Today, the largest number of descendants of the Black Seminoles live on Andros. Islands in the Bahamas. The next time we celebrate our ancestry and their tribulations in finding freedom in America, let's not forget about the fugitive slaves who fled south instead of north. Their stories are just as, if not even more, amazing. This article is titled, The Black Seminoles, How Fugitive Slaves Escaped to Mexico Before the Civil War. A special article by Bilal Morris, News 1, December nineteenth, 2022. Next, an excerpt from The Griot titled, Soul Cap Approved for Swimming's Biggest Meats, But Real Impact Expected at the Grassroots Level. By the Associated Press, July twenty-second, twenty. The sole cap has gotten the green light from swimming's top governing body, which figures to be a huge step towards bringing more diversity to a largely white sport. You'll have to look beyond the Olympics and the World Championships to spot its biggest impact. The oversized silicone cap, which is designed especially for black swimmers with voluminous natural hair, is already making the pool deck feel more welcoming at the grassroots level. The hope is that it will lead more swimmers of color reaching the sport's highly echelons in the generations to come. Saren Jones, S-E-R-E-N, co-founder of the British-based Black Swimming Association is seeing signs of progress in her role as an instructor. I teach water safety to non-swimmers and beginners, she said in a phone interview. It's absolutely incredible to see so many, really, the majority of women across London using the Soul Cap. I'm talking about women from the 20s to their 70s. It's phenomenal. They feel empowered to learn and be safe in the water without worrying about their hair, which was previously a major issue. The Soul Cap initially was banned from competition by FINA, now known as World Aquatics leading to the harsh criticism during the Tokyo Olympics from supporters of more inclusive policies. Most notably, open water competitor Alice Dearing, D-E-A-R-I-N-G, the first black female swimmer to make the British team, thought FINA was out of touch for barring the sole cap on the grounds that it didn't follow the natural form of the head. Deering had wanted to try the larger cap, to cover her afro, reversing course last September, the governing body added the Soul Cap to the list of approved equipment. With Executive Director Brent Nowicki saying diversity and inclusivity is at the heart of Fina's work. Ashley Oki, head brand for Soul Cap, said the company's product has filled a huge void in the sport by appealing to individuals with thick curly, or voluminous hair. Traditional swimming caps often do not accommodate these hair types, hindering participation, she said in an email Wednesday. By providing a product specifically designed for such hair types, Soul Cap reduces this barrier, allowing more people to engage with the sport comfortably and competitively. This can help gradually diversify the swimmers' demographic in all levels, from beginners to professionals. The World Championship, Fukuoka, Japan, are the first major international meet since that ruling. But smaller caps that fit more snugly to the head remain the norm at the highest echelons of the sport. Top swimmers are focused on doing whatever they can to reduce drag, which leads to faster times. We have high hopes for the future, Oakley said. We anticipate that with growing recognition and acceptance, our caps will soon be a common sight in these prestigious events, thus promoting greater inclusivity in the sport of swimming. We all know that in swimming, you want to be as streamlined as you can get, Jones said. That can make all the difference in a race that's decided by thousandths of a second. At the lower levels, though, The sole cap can be a powerful conduct in reaching more swimmers of color. The large caps, the sole caps, are already making a massive difference in grassroots and recreational swimming, Jones said. It also makes a difference for age group swimmers. They get to dabble and experiment with serious training in a competitive environment. But the more serious a swimmer gets, you'll probably see them resort back to the more traditional swim cap that exist now. Florida coach Anthony Nesty, N-E-S-T-Y, who works with some of the biggest names in U.S. swimming, wasn't even aware the Soul Cap had been approved for the World Championships. Yet, as the first black man to win an Olympic swimming gold medal when he competed for Suriname in the 1988 Soul Games, Nesty is eager to see a more diverse group of athletes on deck. Anything that can help the sports have more athletes of color is one less thing to worry about, he said. That will always be a plus. John Jones, the groundbreaking black American swimmer whose four Olympic medals include a pair of golds, is a big fan of the Soul Cap. One of the beautiful things about the Soul Cap model is the inclusiveness For people with longer hair, he said, I know that for a lot of the companies, many of the caps are made for hydrodynamics. Jones is still puzzled about the FINA's initial resistance to letting swimmers use the cap in competition. It's not giving you any kind of edge, he said, but it's giving people who might not have thought to do swimming the ability to feel comfortable around the water. That aligns with one of his passions teaching more Black people how to swim. Coming from a family where many of his relatives have long hair, Jones says to have a cap that makes them feel comfortable and not having to worry about hair, which is a big cultural thing, especially in the Black community, myself included. For Jones, this issue is especially poignant. He was diagnosed with alopecia near the end of his swimming career, causing him to lose all his hair. I had to go to a therapist to deal with a certain lack of identity because I didn't have my hair, he said. I understand very much how important it is. So that barrier to entry is lifted with something like a cap that fits comfortably around your head. Bob Bowman, the Arizona state coach, best known for his partnership with 23-time Olympic gold medalist Michael Phelps, does not know of any elite Swimmers using the soul cap Pri Jones said the soul cap's full impact will take years to realize. she's prepared to be patient. These things take time, she said. We still have a very long way to go. I've been on pool decks that look very much like they did when I was a swimmer ten years ago. They are predominantly white, but there are more swimmers from different parts of the world taking this sport seriously. Let's see how far they go. This article is titled. Soul cap approved for swimming's biggest meats, but real impact expected at the grassroots level. Written by the Associated Press, The Grio, July 22nd, 2023. The next article is titled Chicago Nonprofit Hopes to Raise the Next Generation of Black and Latino Chefs and More. Written by Nyla. Burton, and Scape, July 26, 2023. None of the middle schoolers at Carter Woodson Elementary School in the Bronzeville neighborhood of Chicago have tasted anchovies before, but that's not stopping them from trying. On the count of three, they all popped an oil-slicked anchovy filet into their mouths. Some were neutral. One kid liked the taste. A few others shrieked and laughed when they realized how salty the tinned fish is. It tastes like cod liver oil, 12-year-old Pierre said with a groan. Those were the exact reasons Chef Sebastian White, founder of the Evolved Network, wanted to see. These classes aim to get the kids to try new things and learn about the emotions food can evoke and the change food can make in their lives. The mission of the Evolved Network, which was founded in 2020, is to use culinary arts to expose black and Latino kids on the south and west sides of Chicago to a new career path and help them grow by combining culinary education with therapeutic methods. If I can create a situation where they try something different It expands how they think, White said. If they feel like they can't leave a certain box society has put them in, how do they know what else is out there in the world that they may love and enjoy? On the day I visited, the kids made black garlic and chili Caesar salad using Brussels sprouts instead of lettuce. Each kid was vocal and thoughtful about their likes and dislikes, But none of them refused when White urged them to taste each ingredient, including the sweet fermented black garlic, which most kids in this program would recoil after hearing what it was. Ayana, a sixth grader who's passionate about becoming a chef, said that at home she makes dishes such as raspberry crumble and paella with her mom. When White did an exercise asking the kids what foods they pair with emotions, an exercise to get them to identify emotional eating, Ayana was aghast when anger came up. I'm never angry when I eat, she said. That's disrespectful to food. At Carter Woodson, White works with the school's counselor, Lori Lanier, L-A-N-I-E-R, who aims to expose the children to activities such as yoga, the opera, and cooking. At this age, it's just about piquing their interest and not telling them what they could be, but showing them and letting them choose from lots of different options, Lanier said. All her activities, including White's culinary arts sessions, bring out each kid's personality and passions. Ayana and Pierre expressed the most interest in culinary arts, but 8th grader Tiares, T-I-A-R-E-S, wants to be a doctor. She's skeptical and careful, scientific in her analysis, identifying that the salad isn't to her taste because of the acidity and suggesting adding more cheese to cut the sharpness. Jamil J-A-M-Y-L-E, 13, wants to go into construction, and he's really adept in knife work, deftly slicing through Brussels sprouts. Later, he showed me a candy dispenser he made in woodworking class. Although White would be delighted if some of his students go into the culinary arts, that's not the primary purpose of his work. A psychotherapist with a master's degree in clinical psychology, White wanted to do something to honor his father and aunt after they died in 2020. His aunt was a principal and an avid gardener, while his father was a talented cook with a master's degree in developmental psychology. With the evolved Network, White combined their passions. What we're trying to create is a holistic healing space for kids by way of food and farming he said adding that the evolved network is currently fundraising to complete their goal of creating an urban garden everything about food from planting a seed to watching it grow to the process of it ending up on a plate in the community that is gathered around the table is inherently therapeutic with an annual budget of 240,740 As of 2023, the Evolve Network funds its projects through grants and donations, some of which come through monthly collaborations. Through monthly collaborations, White puts on with such Chicago chefs, such as Tigist Reda, T-I-G-I-S-T-R-E-D-A, the chef and owner of Ethiopian restaurant De Mera, D-E-M-E-R-A. Devon Quinn of the buzzy new Avondale restaurant Eden and James Beard award winner Paul Kahn K-A-H-A-N at his Wicker Park luncheonette Doves. I attended White's pop-up and fundraiser at Luella's Southern Kitchen where he and Darnell Reed, the executive chef and owner of Luella's, partnered on a pan- southern menu for Mother's Day. The star of the five-course menu was the Dirty Rice Arancini, A-R-A-N-C-I-N-I, White's Creation. It was paired with a spicy and vinegary Piri Piri sauce, P-I-R-I, with crawfish in the center of the Arancini. Reed and White also worked together to create a creamy grits dish at Luella's. They hand grind corn with a stone mill to make grits with lobster and Andouille ambidingas with a coconut salsa verde and red sorrel. At the dinner, I met White's mother, Althea Satterfield White, who was visiting from Texas. She said she told White at a young age that he had a gift for cooking and that he should explore, but that he was insistent on working with kids and going into psychology. Kids will fight you, but parents can tell now he's doing both, she said proudly. Pointing to her granddaughter, White's two-year-old daughter, Ever, who sometimes eats cherry tomatoes right off the vine in White's garden, Satterfield White said, now she's going to cook even better than her father. This article was titled, Chicago Nonprofit, Hopes to Raise the Next Generation of Black and Latino Chefs and More. An excerpt by Nyla Burton and Scape, July 26, 2023. That's all the time we have for the African American Hour. My name is Rosemarie Okwe, thanks for joining me.